kind of amazes me for someone who can carry a tune when they sing, when you're called upon or you call upon yourself to hum a tune from, uh, out of thin air, it's very often wrong. That one was right. You got the Skype thing because you just heard two seconds. But like if, if you're mm. if you try to hum like the Harry Potter theme or mm-hmm. the Game of Thrones theme, mm. it's just it's all over the map. Pretty good. How are you? You think you got like Hummer's block? Um, maybe if I okay, this could be. <clears throat> excuse me, I eat quickly. This could be an Oliver Sacks thing. This sounds mm. like an Oliver Sacks problem. You mistook your hum for a cat. Pretty good. How are you? And mm-hmm. uh, and maybe if I added words, I'd do better. But I'm not even good at lyrics, am I? See this guy where the mole comes and mm-hmm, finds mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, well, you know the lyrics to like uh, all your old rock songs. You know those, right? I love rock songs. Well, as far as, far as I know, I mean, you, you rattle off the lyrics. I'm like, I guess that's a lyric to a song. No, but I, you know me. You know me. I always get one little part wrong. I mean, that's, that, it's like a, what do they call it? A canary trap. Maybe. That's how you, that's how you know it's me. Now, sometimes I hear you do ones that I know and you get them right. I think you, I think the ones that when your when your arm was in the bucket of ice water, those ones are in there good. Oh wow! Oh man, this is. <laughs> All right, consult your uh, your manuals. No, you're just you're you're kind of kind of coming at me, uh, you know, full blast, and I'm I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying that. Mm, let's see. Mm, mm, Skype will call. Skype will <laughs> call. There, are there lyrics to the Skype, Skype song that call. I didn't know? It's so jolly. It's, it does not, there's not a single thing that I do with Skype. And in fairness, I don't do many things with Skype. Many things with Skype. <laughs> <laughs> there are not many things I do with Skype uh, where that music is even wildly closely appropriate. It's hard to do. I mean, a lot of it's in the arrangement. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Did, we, did we talk about that before? Uh, having lyrics to bits of songs that don't have lyrics. Oh, we sure should. I got, I got a lot of those. Yeah, I, I think I have. I don't think. have too many of them, but I. It occurs to me sometimes when I'm thinking the lyrics in my head that I'm like, yeah, I find myself thinking that what I am, what I'm doing instead is thinking the lyrics that are either not sung in this version of the song or not sung until like the second chorus. And I, and I think uh, I catch myself. I say, no, those lyrics aren't in the song at all. That's all just something you made up because it goes with like the tune of the bridge or something. Oh, wow. I, I know I have tons of these. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. I have mushrooms. <clears throat> I, uh, I can't think of any that come to mind. I, I had to tell my, my lady the other day, I didn't have to, I chose to, that how I, how I still miss the old morning edition song from the 90s. Yeah, when, you put up the YouTube video of that. I did, and it's one that has that little, like a coronet or like a trumpet kind of voluntary. Mm. And did you know, did you know, Brady's Bits, that BJ Lederman actually wrote lyrics for the song? Something mm. like... um. Hate to get up in the morning. Dun, ba, dun, dun, dun. Let me stay in bed and sleep. Ba, 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 bum, bum. I don't know all of them. Yeah, it's like the retcon lyrics. Like I, I guess that's a that happens oh, I definitely real sometimes. Have those. Yeah, they didn't use uh, Gene. They didn't use Gene Roddenberry's words for Star Trek. Hmm. What were those Beyond words? Beyond the rim of the starlight, hmm. my love is wandering in star flight. I'm trying to think. I have an interpretive dance that I used to do for Law and Order that was pretty special. Transition smoothly into fancy gymnast from that. <laughs> just throwing those wrists up in the air. <laughs> no, you know I'm going to think on it. You, you kind of you're you're really you're you get, you've already whew, four minutes in. You're already you're bombarding me with a lot of material already. 
Now, a lot of people, uh, I don't know if this will be really, I hope you'll uh, let me get to this topic I didn't want to do, but I've heard it said that people have their uh, own lyrics um, for the, the Game of Thrones song. Yeah, a lot of things that are sort of like orchestral, instrumental, or sort of like they lend themselves to to lyrics because there's lots of places for the words to go. Okay. <laughs> I mean, God. you, you got Bill, Bill Murray with Star Wars, of course. Yes, 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 with the great Paul Schaefer. Um, there's one I can't on here from the 90s. And I think I told you about my old uh, housemate, Tony, whose uh, who's cat Chuck used to used to poop on my pillow. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 had a little tune. He had a little ly- lyric that he had written um, for the nightly news on NBC, and uh, it goes like this: "I'm a cowhead. My name is Frank." And once that gets in your head, because he would sing it every night while we watched the news. Yeah, I don't think that's really. Uh... It's pretty good. It fits. It scans. Mm. I don't know. I cow might have knowledge. I'm you... a cowhead. My name is Frank. His name was his name Frank. His name was not Frank. The cowhead. Hmm. Well, uh, something like that. It was along this line. See now, see, it's a canary trap. I, uh, I'm, I'm a cow. Wait, it might be. I'm a cowhead. My name is Frank, with a comma. Uh, yeah. it might be that. Might be a comma splice. See, this is the problem. And I know, I know the the news tune you're trying to hum there. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Is there any truth to the uh, canary trap stories at Apple? You know that term, right? Mm-hmm. Tell, tell, tell our listeners tell our listeners what a canary trap is and, and uh, t- tell them what that is so you give someone some bad information hoping that they'll leak it and when they leak it you know exactly who leaked it because you only gave that fake information to one person hmm. something similar yeah the version that I heard was and I, this is why I'm asking you if you know anything about this but a classic canary trap is there you take something a classic example would be some bit of absolute like need to know information inside of a corporation frequently this happens with scripts for like you know tv shows that they don't want to leak and they will do something sometimes it's it's uh it's something like a, like a uh pre like an embargo press release or whatever there will be one slight difference in wording that is it's almost like watermarking a academy screener um, and I think with things like screenplays, they maybe do some, I don't know, it could be capitalization, but they've got some way to know that this is the version that this person got. Oh yeah, that's, that's much more subtle than the t- totally fake information, but the same idea that, that what you get, you may think is the thing, but it's really the thing oh. modified in some way. Yeah. yeah. But the, the totally fake thing they did, I think to the think secret people, do you remember? I think that was the Astro thing. Maybe I'm misremembering. I think there's at least one old Mac rumor site that got caught by that where, it was some totally made up information that was shoved down a channel at Apple and then ended up popping in the outside world and they nailed people based on it. So they know that Lou is the one who let uh, one of these J random Apple sites know that uh, like a uh, yellow submarine iPod is coming. Yeah, something mm-hmm. like that. I, I might be misremembering because Astro might have been a real thing that was like this strange firewire breakout board, but somebody got nailed by that type of thing. Canary trap. So how, how, did, how did we get on this? Uh, I was singing... Um, about a cow head and mm-hmm. you said I couldn't sing. Mm-hmm. I said, I said, that's nothing. You should hear me play piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> your singing's fine, but, uh, well, you know, you do understand like the multiple levels of irony. It's like, it's like Ben Carson holding up a pack of Oreos. Oh, not everybody's no. going to get why that's bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to explain it. If you don't get it, I'm not going to explain it. Mm-hmm. Right. It would be like Ted Lou giving somebody a banana. Like, don't do that. I'm not going to explain it to you because then now I got to deal with that. 
what was my point? It was about a canary trap. Yeah, I was wondering how you, we we went from. Uh, oh yeah, I was we singing. I was singing Game of Thrones. I felt like we uh, uh we can always circle back to it. All right, so let's oh, let's geez. jump onto this top you doing, mini you doing topic. Well, you doing well? Yeah, because I want to get this this first mini topic out of the way. In you excited fact, you about the butterfly keyboard change? You excited? Oh, God, we're not talking about that today. Although okay. I, it occurs to me, speaking of, mm-hmm. isn't this our our uh, WWC prediction extravaganza show? Our oh, annual? pew pew pew! Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to do that. We're gonna do our draft. Yeah, this is this would be the the show because even though we're recording next week, that would that's like a a reschedule to work around WWC. Yeah, so this will be the last time we have to. Uh, talk in blissful ignorance of WWC announcements, but as is our way, we're not going to talk about it at all. Mm, I'm looking forward to you guys talking about that, though. I wonder if Marco will have any remarks on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what were we... Oh, I'm looking at the oh, document. The, the, the top clicking. mini topic, and you, in fact, touched on it briefly earlier in this <laughs> episode, and I've already forgotten what you said. Uh, something about a basting. Oh, oh, mm. oh, inter- interrogate. Which right. is a bit, a bit you're doing now, and I don't even know who you're making fun of. Oh, that's, yeah. But I assume right. so it's me. That's, that's what I want to get at. So this is a, this is a meta topic. Mm. I, I've got, I really need to go back to the recording and hear what you said. But you did it earlier in the show. So here's the phenomenon. Mm. Um, you're listening to a podcast, and somebody says a word in a funny way, whether it's because of their accent, because they'd only read that word and never spoken it out loud. Maybe they've spoken it out loud a thousand times and have just been mispronouncing it their whole life. And never before had they been in the crucible that is internet podcasting. So they never knew for their whole life, they're pronouncing the word wrong or they're pronouncing it incorrectly for humor value or imitating a young child. This is a whole, this is a whole phenomenon, John. There's the word, there's like, there's the names of like people who write on the internet that I've been reading for literally over 20 years and I've never had to say their name out loud. And you don't know, you don't know what their name is, right? You see, you can spell it, but you can't say it. Yeah, well, those are these proper nouns. You have some kind of excuse, but regular words, it happens with a lot too. Uh, so the particular, there's two ones that I'm referencing in this mini topic item in the notes here. The first is Bastic of Panados. Am I getting that right? Yes. I corrected your spelling, but yes. Um, and that is a funny phrase that uh, your other co-host, John Roderick's daughter, said when she was very small, and it's cute and adorable, and you end up repeating it, um, and it becomes like just one of those words you say uh, within the family. We've talked about that before. You have all sorts of expressions and weird, funny words. There is a second angle to this one, and that eventually the daughter gets older, and she's embarrassed by it and doesn't want you to say it anymore, and now it's a conflict. She was adamant. Like, don't make, don't, I think she specifically said, you would know, it's a canary trap. Something along the lines of, don't make fun of me like that anymore. Like, don't make fun of the way I say words. You've got that same thing with your daughter, right? There was a phrase that I believe you said a couple of times, but I imagine your daughter doesn't want you to repeat anymore. No, there's, there's ones that like, it's so deep in our, in our lexicon that I, I there's one I said yesterday, I'll say it the proper way, mm-hmm. which was when she was little, she would say, I can't sleep. It's too boring. Mm-hmm, exactly. Except I said it like the way she did. And I know, but I bet she doesn't like that anymore. No, it seems hurtful. Yeah. 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 So that's, so, so that's the problem with that, but I'm setting the child angle aside. Okay. Uh, the second aspect of it, and the main one I want to talk about is if one of the people involved in this exchange, which is a very human exchange that happens to all of us, happens to have a podcast and start saying that, and it's funny, like, it comes up, and it, if you're lucky, it's explained when it first comes up, mm-hmm. but then it just gets repeated back and forth between the hosts, mm-hmm. and then eventually, people who listen to the podcast might start saying it as a reference to that podcast. And Why it's just not big, a problem? 
Yeah, it's just this big uh, on a garbage can lid. It's just it's, this big. Oh my god, you're good. <gasps> it's just this big, uh, long chain of <laughs> of references. All oh right? my god, you're amazing. And so eventually, that's so obscure. So eventually, mm-hmm. you have this big long chain of people mispronouncing words, most of whom do not remember why they're mispronouncing those words. Right. Uh, and it's way far out of context. And so, if you're, like I said, if you're lucky, it's explained in context the first time. Bastic of Panados was explained on, John, on Roderick on the Line. John explained it on whatever show that was like 18 years ago, mm-hmm. right? But ne- it's never revisited. It's just repeated after that. Nope. So here's the one, and this came up on ATP recently, but it was cut from the show because Marco is a harsh mistress. He sure is. I listen. I listen live a lot, and then I listen to the final version. And boy, a lot goes on the cutting room floor. A lot of Casey's. A lot of Casey's reckons don't make it in. Kill your darlings. Yeah, and, and also my uh, my interrogations of mispronunciations. So mm. the one I want to touch on today uh, is uh, on one of John Roddick's other podcasts where he talks about war movies with two dinglings. Uh, one of those dinglings uh, would frequently uh, discuss what may or may not have been interrogated in the movie. And this went on for what must be 10, 15, 20 episodes until eventually John Roderick snapped. And these are the moments I live for, as you well know, where someone will mispronounce something for a long, long time. someone finally, finally speaks for you. <laughs> right. And someone finally calls them out. And John, John just couldn't take it anymore. He's like, why do you keep saying interrogating? The word is interrogating. It's not interrogating. And you say it that way every time. And, and the person I, who let, was, me, let me ask you, John. I mean, like, it's a bit that, like, you hear things nobody, literally nobody else hears. Everybody On, hears that. Okay, so you're, but, I mean, you're, you're going to tell me, as my friend, you're going to be honest, he really does say a long E. Oh, in, I swear in, to you. Interro- I swear, in, interrogate, that, he says a long E sound. He, he says interrogate, right? And he did it for a long that time. It's Canadian. one of those type of things that, that everyone Canadian. hears it. But you don't want to say anything because no. it's like rude to correct someone's pronunciation. But on episode 20 or 30, you're like, this this cannot stand. So John, you know John, eventually he's the man's mm-hmm. got his limits. Sure. He, he reaches limits and he's had to, to call yeah. to call him out on it. And the person who was called out seemed genuinely surprised. They're like, what do you mean? I'm oh. just saying a word. Because they'd probably been spending their entire life. I mean, how often does that word come up? They'd been spending their entire life talking with other people who are not going to like correct your pronunciation to your face because that's rude. But if you're on a podcast and you keep saying that word, eventually your host will feel familiar enough with you or your listeners will write in or whatever. And it will happen. Yeah. But supposedly, yeah, exactly. So he called him out and how did, how did the dingling respond? He was, he was shocked. And it was funny and it was like a thing or whatever, but here's the thing. It supposedly is a great example. That wasn't the end of the mispronunciation. That was the beginning, right? No, it's because a, yeah, it's after a yes that and. Point, it's a yes and. Yeah. Not only did, did that person continue to pronounce that word the wrong way, <laughs> but so did both of his co-hosts. Oh, okay. Oh, that's As a interesting. Joke, it's viral. Kind of. But eventually, now at this point on the show, of the three hosts, none of them can say that word correctly. They are intentionally saying it wrong. Two of them are intentionally saying it wrong. One of them is involuntarily saying it wrong, but they're mm-hmm. all saying it wrong. And that word has leaked out into other shows, including now this one, where occasionally someone will be saying something and they will intentionally mispronounce the word interrogate as interrogate and just unexplained and just mm-hmm. go on with their day. And this leaves a trail of puzzled and angry listeners because, because they'll like write in like, do you not know how to pronounce that word? Hopefully, right, if right. they listen to this show, they're like, oh, that must be some joke I don't get. But supposedly, which you just said before, did I get it right? Supposedly? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Is another great example, which you will say, and I will say sometimes, 
for the hell of it in totally yeah. unrelated contexts and leave it completely, you know, unremarked upon. Well, where, where, where importantly, uh, in my case, and I don't, I don't want to crush the bunny, but like, I don't want the co-host to get it. If it's, if it's something from another place, I don't want them to get it. I want it, I want it to pass by unremarked in the Japanese style. I would like it to be something they don't know about because now they're mm. going to wonder or something like, Oh no, my rocks. Like people aren't going to know. Like a lot of people say, like not a lot of people, but a small number of people now say, Oh no, my X. Mm-hmm. And that began in the, the, I think the first episode of Dubai Friday. But I think, I think what you're describing. So it's one thing to have a strictly speaking, a bit like, uh, this is so annoying. Something like keep moving and get out of the way mm-hmm. is something that's kind of made its way into the parlance on some level. And in that case, you could say, well, you know what? Technically, well, the second, but kind of the first episode of the show was called Keep Moving and Get Out of the Way. And that's where that bit comes from. But how do you help somebody find Bastic of Pinedos? Like, I wouldn't, I'd have to like underscore David Smith, the, uh, the you know, search results to find that. I have no idea. How could you explain to somebody how this third or fourth order viral passing of the mispronunciation of basket like, who knows? That's so hard to explain to someone. And you see this on the internet, like, with larger trends of either misspelling. I mean, it's mostly misspelling because there's not a lot of audio medium. But intentionally misspelling words or, you know, misspelling with the intent of mispronouncing words. Like, Trolling to form, like T-E-H. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that Like, those are the big versions of that. Like, prawn instead of porn. And I don't know. There's tons of examples. Are you thinking of keck, John? Yeah, I wasn't, mm-hmm. but now I am. Okay, thanks. Um, and, <laughs> all right, and these are like miniature versions of that. They're they're viral, but they're sort of whatever that factor is of their like you know fan out or whatever is very low. So it stays within a community, but it spreads. And the most exciting thing about it for me is that it very quickly moves past the point where it's spreading, like the monkeys with the bananas that we talked about before on the fire hose. It's spreading to people who have <laughs> who have no idea why they're saying. You're so bad at this. <laughs> yeah even in your retelling of the retelling you can't well, get away I, from weird i can't moments. explain everything like we'll, we'll be here we'll be here to we'll be here all day <laughs> the stack goes very deep okay uh-huh cutting the ends off the roast yeah yeah exactly so so people are repeating and they have no idea why and if you come into the circle from the outside you're like why is this whole circle circle of related people mispronouncing a bunch of words mm-hmm and the answer is just the same way, you know, all, all, all the other internet memes. I mean, it just it just spreads. It's a fun thing to do. It's a little bit interesting. It starts off maybe as a bit or a joke, and then it becomes a nod. And it eventually, it stops being a bit, a joke, or a nod. It's just a thing that we all do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and interrogating is getting close to that. I can't remember now because my memory's so bad where I heard it, but I had heard it like in a tertiary source. Totally straight face. Where it had um, not jumped the shark, but it had... Uh uh, leapt, leapt the Gladwell and it had made it, made it beyond like, so it's one thing to say like, okay, John's, um, war movie podcast, that's canonical. So maybe it's something where like, say for example, Dan picks it up where that's still like in the ring of contagion. You're saying it, it leapt out of that first concentric circle to a second one to like, now it's kind of in the wild a little bit. Yeah, like Free Willy going over the jetty. I mean, it mm-hmm. was like, you know, it, it, you have the first place and then you have me occasionally referencing uh, Friendly Fire with it. But then you have people saying it like a degree removed from that. Who People who have never listened to Friendly Fire saying it, maybe because they heard me say it, maybe because they heard someone else say it. And it just becomes a thing. And, you know, 
you being the meme machine that you are, hmm. you get one of these mispronunciations and, and it'll come out of you for years to come. Like you'll be staying best. You'll be staying best of potatoes till your dying day. All right. Okay. I mean, hmm. that's not going to go. So I, I feel like interrogate is the first one that's really gotten its claws into me. Sometimes when I'm speaking out loud, I find myself potentially like it with real people, not like, you know, podcasting or internet people find myself veering towards that mispronunciation. How am I going to explain that to like people in the world? It's a, it's a, it's a good question. And I mean, I, I wasn't uh, d- doing a bit. I mean, like, who was it? Was it Marshall McLuhan or Burroughs or whoever came up with that idea? I, I don't know. It might have been Dawkins. The idea of like what a meme is and like how something spreads, what virality means in that way. Selfish gene guy, maybe? Could be some atheist. And um, but I mean, like stuff does spread that way. And it has that, it can be very like, you know, comforting. It could be like saying, where's the beef in some ways? Like it's, it's a, it's a funny thing and, you know, or like, what's up or, or whatever. <laughs> but, um, what was the example that I was thinking of? It, it is, it is strange to think about how something can free Willy over the jetty. And then how would they even ever get back to it? It feels like there's another example that, uh, came across my transom recently. Well, there's somewhere I just, I just pick them up. Like, you know, okay. Like the way that we end, is it okay that we're talking about this? Is this too up the butt to talk about? No, it's fine. I'll I'll allow it as they say. Okay. On, I want to say maybe the second, no later than the third or fourth episode of back to work. Um, Dan, I was, I would refer to a phone guy bit I did about wheels up, wheels down, how I like, I, I really despise that term. And, um, oh, is this, this is talking into your shoe, but you weren't talking into your shoe. I wasn't. People remember it wrong. I, there's no shoe. Of course. No shoe. No shoe. And <laughs> she's on a very fixed income. Mm-hmm. The, uh, no, but he said at one point, I think, you know, just in passing, he said something about, you know, let's button this up or should we button this up? Which mm-hmm. as it happens is another phrase that I don't care for mm-hmm. and now that's Bolt how we that's, <laughs> goldenberg choose that's how and that's how we end the show now so now yeah like you said now that's how we end the show 700 episodes in for eight, all of them almost, except for the first two eight eight and a half years yeah 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 no but that's all it takes and i talked about this on some show uh recently and you know what it was to dan and i were talking about this topic and the guy at the gay bar on new wave night who would say as far as i'm concerned all you new waivers are in purgatory a phrase that i still think about probably twice a week every time i get a drink of water out of a fountain i i, I think mm-hmm, of it. Mm-hmm. but but th- there are ones like that i had another really good example and now it's escaping me but um i mean it's a bunch of those like there's stuff that i feel like i think of as a McElroy brothers bit that i don't that i know some are a McElroy brothers bit a hundred percent but like the way Justin says, putting somebody on blast, like in my, I thought that was a Justin invention, but I guess it that's, not. A, it's not, it's not, but it's, it's become in that circle. Like, don't mm-hmm. put me on blast. Like, that's a thing like you, you get from them. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it is, it is difficult to explain. And it's in the same way that I wake up with the most ponderous, bizarre songs in my head, or I get a song in my head, and then I try to, uh, what do you say, like I try to back solve for how that lyric got in my head, mm-hmm. and one or two times out of five, I go, oh, that's because somebody said a thing, maybe on the radio, maybe on TV, maybe at the um, coffee place, they said a thing that reminded me of something else, 
And then that song was in my head. I, I've incepted you like that. I, this happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. We had an iMessage conversation semi shortly before you reported, recorded a podcast. Maybe it was like the night before. Maybe it was even the same day or hours before. And it was some unrelated conversation. And so the original, the original source is uh, the movie Top Gun, where they're in the bar trying to pick up girls, and somebody refers to it as a target-rich environment because there's lots of girls there. Oh yeah, up. I've been spreading that around. Yeah, right. And so I, in our oh, that's where that comes from. That's where that comes from. Top Gun. That's where I first heard it, and that's where it's stuck in my head. That's where it's filed under in my head. And then we had an iMessage conversation, and I said something about a something rich environment, and then you recorded a do by Friday, and it ended up as the title, I think, Dingling Rich Environment. Oh, oh, I can, I can, I can help you with this. So, so target rich environment is, I think, a term from the military about we have lots of options about where we would choose to send our, our fire or our, our attack or whatever. In that case, they're pivoting to, there's a bunch of lovely ladies here. What you mm-hmm. said specifically was, I said, we got a lot of good options for titles this week or something like that. And basically you said it's a title rich environment. Yeah. Cause title, uh, target, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no. I'm just saying that that's how we make these little leaps then, from one to the next. And then Dingling Rich Environment was the Dubai Friday thing, right? Yeah, by Mutual Ascent. Everybody liked that title. Yeah, and the, and the only reason, that, that's that's a chain from military to Top Gun to me to you to Dubai Friday. Oh my God, you incepted me. Mutating, it, not, you know, not intentionally, but that's just the way, that's just the way I feel like we all work. And that's why I find mispronunciation so fascinating because it's like the hardware virus on the like adapter. Yeah, like Google, yeah. If you, e- even though you know it's wrong, if you hear it, and if you find yourself repeating it, at, quote unquote, as a joke, ironically, the danger of irony that we all learn in Gen X, like eventually it just becomes a thing that you do. And I the know. best part of, of, of Interrogate, by the way, is that Adam Pranica, who I believe is the, the perpetrator of this uh, word crime, is, huh. not, is unrepentant. And I thought, it, I, thought I really seems, liked him, and now I'm really sorry to hear that. No, they're all terrible people. And hmm. does not want to just like, obviously on the show, they're still going to do it because it's a bit. But I think that he will never change his ways in real life. Mm-hmm. Like that he he can he can not actually physically say that word the right way unless like someone holds a gun <laughs> his to his mouth. Head. His mouth can't make the shape. Like unless he unless he thinks about it, I suppose. Right. But right, like right, right. that, he, that yeah. he's because he's gone through what thirty some odd years of like saying it wrong, and he's not going to change now. Why should he? Certainly, he's not going to change in the podcast because now it's a bit. But even outside the podcast, like. The, the knowledge of the correct pronunciation mm-hmm. is not valuable to him. Yes. And it's not an accent like many. So it's not like you can say, oh, you're saying it wrong. So so it's not, not an, an accent. accent. Interrogate, I, I, interrogate is no accent. They're pronounced, they're pronounced virtually the same. I realized something about myself <laughs> some years ago, probably in the early days of Back to Work, which is um, there are some uh, words out there. They're maybe not thousand-year words, but they're maybe hundred-year words. They're words that you don't need to use very often, but they have a particular meaning. And, um, I realized that if I use a hundred year word once, there's a very high probability I will use it again in the same podcast episode. And every time I catch myself doing it, I'm furious at myself. Yeah, no, that's definitely a thing. I, I have the, the, uh, one level turns out, I guess the backlash for, I have the backlash version of that. Mm-hmm. Where I will expunge words from well, my I've, vocabulary. I've, I've, I've heard you catching yourself about to say the word you know that you're about to say, and then you, I've heard you do that where you stop yourself. Well, for so sure. like, like the thing you just described where you repeat it during a podcast and you hate yourself for repeating it. Right. Mm-hmm. I will do that. And then I will expunge that word from my vocabulary for years. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Max, like, Max, Max said palaquin twice, which is a great word. And mm-hmm. now it's like, it's, it's, twice it's, is too many. 
Well, yeah, twice is one too many at least. And, but mm-hmm. it's a, uh, it's a Bader Meinhof type situation where like now I keep hearing Palaquin everywhere that I go. It's really weird. Now, did you yeah. ever hear uh, in your early days on the early internet, um, you must have come across some of the, uh, things that were collected on a popular CD in, in my neck of the woods, Al Roker, uh, called, uh, celebrities at their worst. And have you ever hear Shatner doing voiceover for a video game? Have you ever heard? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, do you remember the word that he, uh, pronounces and <laughs> then he, do, he, he says sabotage. He says yes. sabotage. Don't, don't tell him how to do, do the line reading. It sickens him. Now, <laughs> That went around. I mean, my favorite of those is Drunk John Wayne and um, Dementia Colonel Sanders. It's entirely different. That one, I don't know if you've heard that one. It's real good. Um, but but I, I was familiar, you know, like it's one of those things like comedians pass around that eventually came out on CD. But Sabotage, Sabotage the System, Spock, Sabotage the System. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so that wasn't bad enough. So then the hipsters over at The Simpsons yoinked it. Mm-hmm. They had Bart say... I believe he specifically said, I say sabotage, you know, don't tell me how to do the It sickens me, something like that. Mm-hmm. And now to, to this day, now what, 25 years after the Simpsons had already backbid it, like I, um, which is my term I came up with in the 90s, I'm pretty sure for when you sample somebody's sample, I call it backbiting. It might have been somebody else. But, uh, but now, now I, still, I still think sabotage. And then if I hear sabotage, and then I say sabotage, and then I have to work in like a form of OCD, I have to work in, it sickens me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Isn't that, I mean, that's how, I mean, that's how I'm wired, man. It's so weird. Yeah. You seem, you seem particularly afflicted and you are, you are, uh, I, I think I'm a carrier. You're whatever the opposite of a carrier is. You're like a, you're like a typhoid Mary. You like, you spray it out in all directions. Like if it mm. enters into you, it is going to spread far and wide. That's like, like you're not kind gonna, of a word, word bukkake that. Yeah. You're not okay. going to just tell one other person, you know? No, then so on and so on and so on. Um, and uh, I, I know I'm not allowed to, uh, or I'm, I'm admonished not to post uh, conversations from our texts anymore. And I think that was a good note. I'm trying not to I do that. I admonish you. You are not admonished in the passive voice. I you specifically admonish you. You did that. I'm the um, actor. I'm the one who knocks. Okay, got the, uh, but the, what was my point? The, uh, see, now you, 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 you threw off my conversation, I, I frightened you for a second, but in our text, text conversations, which you will text never post without my permission, you would now like to vaguely reference. Post. Roll the tape back. What, what, what were we talking about? Uh, see, this is the thing I was talking to my shrink about. This is bad. It's getting really bad. We were talking about, oh, never mind. Now I've forgotten. See, now <laughs> I'm going to hear this back. And I'm going to be thinking. And you're going to know what you were talking about. You're going to be like, "Why didn't you continue that thread?" Oh man! Now I have to go back and look at all of our texts. Okay, there's there's uh, there's Gannon, and she's riding a horse. Uh, my um the the uh, Mother's Day card that I bought for my wife was less costly uh, than the card that the cat gave her. Cat's a big spender. Cat gave her a really nice, like an interactive card. Mm. Did it come with a dookie? <laughs> Nice hard one. Just little mummified cat leavings. <laughs> I can't believe I'm now at a point where I'm exchanging texts with my, I'm not allowed to post the thread. And if you ever remember what I was going to talk about, tell me. But we are now at a point um, where I give her reports on how the cat's dookie is doing because she's got mm-hmm. constipation. Right. And, um, and we'll have a discussion about how hard or soft it was. It's not that different from parenthood. Did you guys ever have those conversations about your baby? It tastes terrible. Yeah. You eat it. (laughs) 
to say, I say, what do you, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? So here's <laughs> do you want to fancy that one up. Do you want to, are you, do you into transition to et, et, you know, et? No, no, I like yours. E, yeah, eated, eated is the original, but I think it can safely mutate into et. I can't pronounce it, you know? Now what's eated it from? Is that from Kids in the Hall also? Oh, I don't know. That's, oh. God, that's, that's so much funny, of It was funny though. That was very, that was very, very funny. Oh, it's from somewhere, but I... So, yeah, so no what idea. I do is I... Um, and by the way, uh, we just bought her her, by my count, fifth different litter box. Mm. Um, ro- robotic? No, 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 no. We're, Cybernetic? We, we don't want to spook her. I don't know if we use that word anymore, but we... Um, so now, uh, we're, my, my wife is very concerned about what she imagines is the cat's arthritis. <laughs> so we arthritis well she has no base, she has no basis for that she just thinks she might have arthritis so we got mm-hmm. her yet another box this one is a comically oversized very shallow box but it has a ooh, nice little easy entry so she can get in there a lot easier mm-hmm. and she still has problems with her proprioception i think so she thinks she has arthritis i think she has proprioception problems she has trouble uh knowing where her body is in space and time she might be a little bit billy pilgrim You know, Mm -hmm. and I have theories on this and observations. She likes to be on the edges of things. I think she likes to know where the parameters are, Mm -hmm. if you can know that. Uh, But no, she still uh, sticks her little uh, dark black hole out of the the edge of it. And she she makes a little little thing for me to clean up right outside the box. So we got a comically oversized, large, large box. And, uh, and then I report it into my wife and I let her know how the tinkles and the do- dookies are going. I say, oh, she made a doodle in her bastic. And she'll say, was it hard or soft? And, and I say, um, you know what? I forgot, I forgot to squeeze this one with a paper pinch, towel. Yeah, yeah I should, poke. I should pinch it. It seemed like it was hard. It cleaned up real well with the scoop. But now that I've, and now by the, I deploy brown paper bags in, uh, over there so I can put them with the scoop, put it in there with the litter. Uh, but now I have a thing I do, which is now I also need to, because uh, I need more projects. Uh, is I will uh, squeeze it and then give her an update. I'll say, is it like a tootsie roll? Uh, is it like <laughs> is it like a um, like a milk dud? Which she makes a lot of milk duds. Or mm-hmm. you know, we're f- we're finally away from the raisinets. The raisinets are what brought her to the vet for fifteen hundred dollars uh, this time. She likes to be on the edge, but she wants to be on the edge, but then she poops outward from the edge, right? She gets very close, and also she does pee right where the arthritic step is, so she's not really thinking the whole thing through. But yeah, she, she I don't think she knows, uh, I'll say it a third time, I think she has poor proprioception. I don't think right. she has a body awareness. It's the, it's the, 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 the cat body problem. So, so I'm thinking you might be able to deploy, if she wants to be on the edge, you might be able to deploy a bastic and a bastic. So if she goes to the inner one, she can do it on the edge, but it'll still fall on the outer. Oh, like a, like a double boiler, but but for your feces. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's a good, that's you, a good you, idea. Or maybe like a triple or quadruple. Like I don't know how high this cat can count, but not not she can't get too, she can't get too high up. And she does she does have uh, diagnosed uh, layperson's arthritis as a diagnosis. But also, uh, so now my wife thinks maybe we should put piddle pads around the comically oversized box. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you start, like, if you start putting stuff around the edge, like, where is the edge as far oh, as the cat's concerned? Yes, 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 right? yes, yes. So uh-huh. maybe she'd go to the edge of the piddle pads and still find like the carpet. Maybe move the entire litter box to like some kind of like plastic room where everything can be hosed down. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's a, it's not, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, I need more projects. Oh, I sent you the photo of the person waiting for the uh, recycling. Maybe that was what you were getting at with your uh, no, no, looking something at else. Text going, back, going back through, going back through here. It was on the mispronunciation things. Okay, oh, we'll get it. We'll get it. Did did uh, did you sound like his bas- bastic, his laundry bastic? Oh, uh, yeah. I think we got like a shrug out of that. I don't know. He's using it. 
Where did Good. you send me a thing? I'm looking at iMessage. I don't see anything from you. Just now? Did I did yeah. I do that? I don't think I sent you anything, did I? Wrong wrong window again? Oh, no, I had a double. Merlin, I t- wrong window man. Did I tell you him. I had a double yesterday? I had a double. A double wrong window? Does that oh, mean like you yeah. think it's wrong, but it was right? I almost sent it to you just so I could get the hat trick. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, um, I pasted in some information <clears throat> about uh, power user ideas for the application drafts. And I said, uh, hey, you know, maybe this will, uh, you know, stimulate, you know, Max's ideas for da 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 And my wife said, literally, I'm not going to post it here because I've been admonished not to. She said, uh, she said, literally, wrong window, dude, is what my wife said to me. And then I pasted it into the Come On In Guys uh, special Bespoke Survivor channel. So I got it twice. If, if you want, I'll send it to you too. I'm not going to screen cap it. Sounds, I mean, everyone else is getting out of feel jealous. Yeah, no, so you didn't send me a message just now because your last message was for before we started recording. No, 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 no. I, let's see, it looks like, oh, wait, that's You sent you. it to someone who's not me. Angle is slightly different this time. Okay, that's you, that's you. You're right, and then you said, cool, thanks. And that's cool, the thanks. last message I have from you. You know, I think we're good. My family's, uh, they went to Chipotle and had to go buy a t-shirt. Max uh, got a Twitter survey uh, with the following question, which of the following uh, brands do you most associate with supporting gender equality? And yes, he can choose from American Express, Visa, it's like PayPal. Snickers, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, wow. Because of the nuts, really? I'm just saying, like, it, what, what is going to be, I'm trying to think of the brand that is the least uh, related to gender equality, and I came up with a candy bar. This is super normative of you, because Snickers, you know, really, really satisfies. satisfies you. Yeah. 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 What about uh, break off a piece of the Kit Kat bar? What do you think of that? Mm. What, what, about, what about milk duds or raisinets? <laughs> she, she's been diagnosed. She's been personally diagnosed with in the right fr- In the right frame of mind, all these candy names sound judgmental. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Burrow. You can learn more about Burrow right now by visiting burrow.com slash diffs. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash diffs. Burrow makes simple, innovative furniture for modern life at home. Their award-winning sofa is packed full of clever features and thoughtful touches. You'll wonder why you didn't upgrade your living room situation sooner. Now, this is really cool, for real. They didn't tell me to say that, but I'm telling you, this is cool. The Burrow sofa is modular, so it, it comes together in minutes, and you can add or remove seats as you need them. Uh, as I'll tell you in a second, we have one of these, and it was really easy to uh, to just attach an ottoman and like or like you get an ottoman. It's like it's a part of your thing. You can just you you can you can. It's modular. It's burrow. You can take it apart if you move. Ugh. You, you don't want to move, but if you got to move. Nobody wants to move a couch. You're moving parts of a couch, buddy. Uh huh. Uh-huh. It has a built-in USB charger, so you can charge your devices right from your sofa. What? What century am I living in? I don't know. Super customizable. You can choose from five fabric colors, three leg finishes, two armrest styles, any length you like. You can even add a chaise or ottoman. I did that. I had an ottoman. Well, technically, it's a detached ottoman. I think the chaise is when it turns into a big long chair, but I'm not here to shame you over your grammar. It's scratch and stain resistant, so you don't have to worry about spills. Believe me, we get spills because we have a child who doesn't understand liquids. And it's made of high quality uh, materials. And like I say, um, we, we we bought one of these with our own money. Didn't even use a discount code, like like, like a dingus. Uh, I didn't even get the discount. But we needed it. We've been looking for a couch for years. And finally, uh, I, said, I said to my lady friend, we got this new sponsor. We should check this out. And she said, you know what? Turns out Burrow was on her list. It was on her list of uh, of like her final five for what she would consider for a couch. She's pretty picky. Anyway, we really like, our, like ours. It's really good. So if you're in the market for a new sofa, give your living room the upgrade it deserves with a Burrow sofa. 
And right now you get $75 off a new sofa and free one-week shipping by visiting burrow.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Get on the internet right now. Go to, go to your web browser. I don't care which one you use. You go to burrow.com, B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash diffs. And that's going to get you $75 off your order. And, you know, get a sofa. You know, just go get one. It's right on the internet. So our thanks to Burrow for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Uh, John, are we ever gonna are we ever gonna talk about the moving video, or should we just skip it? We can. I mean, now it's it seems like we've really lost our window for this. Uh, maybe I don't know. I I do want to get to our main topic, but I do too. I feel like we should have some room for our main topic that I didn't want to do. Yeah, and uh, but it'll also be a spoiler slot. But I feel like can you do a spoiler slot forty minutes in? Um, a smaller smot. I see this one hasn't stuck with me because I can't. I don't. I can't match your. I don't know which mispronunciation is the right one. <laughs> Join the club. Yeah. Um. That's, uh, that's your problem. See, you you had the mispronunciation and then you forgot what the original mispronunciation was. So now the bit became intentionally mispronouncing the mispronunciation, yeah, but you cause, lost. Cause, no, you lost it's the original mispronunciation. It's because words sound like other things. That's right. You had you had the cure for mispronunciation, but you lost it. Yeah, they never thought to think. Why should we do it? You didn't get that one. I, I got snuck a Flophouse one. Past no, no. It. Which one? What? Oh, was uh, Jackie Chan in it? No. Okay. Um, I found the cure for cancer and I lost it. <laughs> Ring any bells? Um, is it uh, Lorenzo's Oil? No, no. I was. That's my terrible Sean Connery. Uh, that's, that's not Lorenzo's Oil. Oh, it's the um, the Mosquito Coast. No, the one where he's the guy with the glasses. He's the guy with the glasses. He does have the glasses. That's not Lorenzo's Oil. No. I'm, is it uh, the Rock? Welcome to the Rock. God, now you made me forget the title. There's a Flophouse episode. There's a, a YouTube uh, video I, I showed my family this week um, of uh, compilations of people doing the titular line from a movie. And it starts out funny. It gets, you know, eh, okay, I get it. And then for some reason, it becomes, as they get faster and faster, it becomes absolutely uproarious. Now, now since I've mentioned it on the show, unless Jim cuts it out, would I be allowed to add that to show notes so people can see it? And what? <sighs> oh, the, the, the video Medicine. showing all the title reads? Medicine Man, I think that's Lorenzo's Oil. It says Medicine Man, but I'm pretty sure it's Lorenzo's Oil. Who's Lorenzo, in Lorenzo's Oil? Lorenzo's Oil is a different thing. Lorenzo's. I can't believe you don't remember the Flophouse bit. It's a classic. It comes up yeah. a lot. I don't, I don't know. Lorenzo's Oil. Okay. Did you hear about the people drinking bleach? No. Yeah. People are giving, uh, giving their Spectrum um, kids bleach to cure them. This sounds like a, one of those uh, I know. turn on the headlights gang member initiation urban legend things <laughs> and there's a hook in the door <laughs> yeah what you, who's feeding who bleach what's <laughs> um there's a lot of levels of turns out to it already um a woman wrote an article about how in these private you know what this is too gross this is what i say so here's the thing here's the thing my wife my, my, my family and i will be sitting around probably watching 30 rock and i'll hear um uh, further down the couch i'll hear oh <laughs> and and my 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 daughter and I both look, we look at each other and we turn to Madeline and we say, "What happened on Sad Twitter?" Because mm-hmm. this is a, this is a phenomenon that my daughter and I now call Sad Twitter, which is for some reason my wife seems to find the most upsetting local, national, and international stories. She she looks at basically black metal cats, uh, cute doggos, and very upsetting stories uh, uh, about things that'll never be the same again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe she got a list for it. 
I, so I sent it to her today. I, I won't post it here, but I said to her, here's some good sad Twitter for you. Is it uh, in, in private Facebook groups, uh, people are vending um, a what they claim to be uh, a treatment for uh, spectrum things, and it's bleach. So, so that's pretty good. And then now people are real mad at the lady who wrote the article and saying, don't you tell me what to do. And the QAnon people, posposably, have now jumped in and said, ha, I drink bleach all the time. <laughs> big, 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 uh, big pill uh, doesn't want you to know, they call it MMS, all the things that MMS, otherwise known as bleach, can cure. I've been brushing my teeth with it, with it for years. Thanks, Obama. Like, I know this is all good stuff. So, and so I said to my friends in another channel that I will not post here, I said, this feels like it, it might be, this might, this might be fake. Not, 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 the, not the reporting, but the people who are, as you say, trolling uh, by saying that they're drinking bleach. I think, I think they might, some of them be trolling because I don't I, know I if recall, you can drink that much bleach. I recall I asked you the same thing about the silver people who turn blue and you said, you assured me that no, it is a real thing that people do. Totally a real thing. Colloidal silver. Right. Now the bleach obviously is a stepping it up, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I'm, it's very difficult on the internet to dismiss something out of hand as obviously ridiculous because people are very ridiculous. That's the exception that proves the rule, whatever that means. And maybe, maybe mm-hmm. it's related to homeopathy. So maybe you just need to titrate it. You maybe yeah, need to, yeah. what do they say? Do you dilute it, dilute, dilute, you know, and uh, then you really you water down your bleach and maybe that, you know, is a thing that, um, I don't yeah, know. We're, we're all drinking that much bleach. <sighs> right? Oh no, my, my mouse is running out of energy. Harpoon that sucker. Is that a euphemism? I just got the, uh, I just got the, uh, just got the HUD popped up. Hmm. All right, well, why, why don't we do our main topic and we'll do it, call it a shorty. Sure. Um, owing to the nature of this topic, um, so, so as we'll talk about in a second, John and I, I I pitched a topic to John that I then thought was a terrible topic and John has encouraged me to talk about it anyway. Um, and the topic is going to involve the, uh, series all the way through of the TV show Game of Thrones. And so if you don't want to hear about Game of Thrones or you want to avoid, um, spoilers, you know, um. As will come up in our discussion of this, I've been rewatching old seasons of this show, and my goodness me, it's an awfully good show. Not for everybody, but don't get spoiled just because you're sick of it. Like the the first few seasons of the show are just to me shockingly good. But here's the other part of this I want to say uh, is is that I'm going to try so hard not to do that thing I do where I casually spoil something that's not the nominal spoiler spot. I'm going to really try not to do that, although it might come up. So if you just don't like spoilers, or you don't like media talk, or you don't like meta talk about the talk on the podcast, you could skip this. And to the extent possible, it'll be all that John and I talk about um, to the end of the episode. Do you have anything else you want to say before uh, we, uh, we, we, we take it to private? I think you framed it well. Okay. Uh, Jim, please uh, drop in the uh, spoiler smart. Uh, now, see, now this is another one. If you don't listen to the incomparable podcast, shame on you. You're not going to know that we just straight up, uh, well, we didn't steal it. We got it from the same garage band pack, I think, as Jason. But, but, but Jim's going to give you the uh, spoiler horn. Um, I have a hastily prepared opening statement that I would like to read, if you will permit it. Please do. Okay, I ate really fast, so it's really uh, hastily written. So here's what I said. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about Game of Thrones. And um, 
So as, as we record this on May 21st, as you certainly will have known by now, I'm sorry. Um, Game of Thrones has just wrapped up and there were just uh, so many takes on it um, from a lot, a lot, a lot of people and some just some very, very strong opinions about uh, Game of Thrones, um, this especially the last couple seasons, but just about the show in general. And like, it just became such a poop storm of discourse. Um, but a lot of people, I mean, if one could summarize at a high level, a lot of people who've really enjoyed a whole lot of the books and the show or the books or the show, like were very disappointed, especially in the last few episodes of this season. But I would say even especially like the last two mini seasons. So we may have takes to add to that. I know I do, but I'm interested in talking about the thing we're talking about here because now that uh, the show has wrapped, um, people are really talking about why it is that this season ended the way it did, how they're very disappointed in various aspects of that. And really, I mean, I think a kind of in- interesting conversation, you know, why, why do the last couple seasons of this show seem so very different from the other ones? Um, so here's a few theories and reckons that go around and stop me at any point. Um, about halfway done. A lot of people, I don't, I don't know this to be a fact, but I have heard it said that, the um the books such as they are now that the story that um mr martin had has given us ends around the time that season six ended with a very very good final episode of season six have you heard that 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 is roughly where the story left off book wise uh i don't remember if it was six or seven but yeah that we left the books behind a little while ago okay so i'm I'm pretty sure that's right because i i feel like seven the mini mini season many seasons of seven and eight represent guidance uh from the man but that you know they're they're writing where there is no book per se yet or not a lot of book yet so that's when people say hey look here's the thing you know george george made this world george uh you know set the tone and the rules for how this works and now they're off on their own i've also heard it said by various people that or speculated that between like the confluence of the talent, the creators, the producers all had like what may not be obvious to be a really surprisingly limited amount of available shared time to do this such that they needed to close this out faster than they might have liked. Although some people speculate that the creators were really just ready to move on to the next thing, Star Wars or whatever. But the upshot a lot of people have on this theory is that this is why the storytelling telling, the storytelling felt rushed and the character details started to blur a little, um, kind of spinning out of that. I'm saying this here so I don't constantly fall back on this as I am wont to do in this discussion. A lot of people, including me, feel like a lot of the character development and world development over the years what it, they kind of it got ignored or abandoned or like altered in really inexplicable ways, you know, even setting aside the like threads that didn't seem to close, but like stuff, you know, the internet would call it a plot hole. That's not what I would call it, but like that, you know, it's kind of weird. Like I thought this was going to be a thing. Uh, I'm bummed about that. And so my own feeling that I think is shared by a lot of people is my, some of my frustration, disappointment, whatever is it really, it felt like the show started to, and this is something we've talked about before, started to bend and eventually kind of break 
a lot of the rules of the universe that led a lot of us to think the show was special and different. This is far from the first time that this has happened, but even setting aside our own expectations about what would happen with the story and how it would end. And like, are we bummed about this turn that we didn't think was, you know, well enough, you know, led up to or blah, 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 blah. But just that like, if, if a lot of us feel like if we, if we trace it down to something close to the heart of what led to this feeling of, you know, disappointment, <laughs> rage in some cases, it's that like there was a pretty clear set of rules about how, this world works, whether that's the way that time and travel work, or whether that's the way that, um, you know, succession works in, um, you know, in uh, monarchies, or whether it's how strictly we apply the rules of the Night's Watch, or we can get into this, but, and I, I, I'm just curious about this, because I've, I've just been thinking about it a lot, trying not to have too many hot takes, but the question that I bring to you that closes my opening statement you can take this any way you want. What is a rational way to think about media that disappoints us by seeming to stop following the rules that made us love it? Because it's, it's, my, it's, my, it's my speculation that the reason I'm kind of going, hmm, about it is that this is one of those rules shows. Like, not strictly, but like, and certainly, you know, creativity, it's important, it's great, but that, that, there, that there were certain kinds of things that made this show different and unique we wouldn't have had the pace and the character. I'll get to this in a minute. We wouldn't have had the pace and character development if the rules about stuff like travel weren't the way that they were. It's going to where you want with this. You could even just tell me what your take is. But like, you know, this, just getting back to something we talked about before, is it rational for us to get people like me to get this riled up about a TV show? And like, should we feel kind of miffed that like it didn't follow the rules that we thought we understood and learned to love? I don't know how riled you are, but yeah, of course, like if, if you don't like a thing, it's okay to not like a thing. Uh, and there's no, you know, I, I don't have any, any problem with that. It's interesting you bring up the rules though, because it sounds like you, you were using the rules in two different contexts. One is the rules in the show, like the in-universe rules about like, you have to like, you can do the spell once a day and then you have to rest, like whatever the, the in-universe rules are for the systems in the show. And the second is like storytelling rules where like, it's not strictly a rule because technically you can cut and then the next time you see that person, they could be across the continent and you just say, oh, months passed and it's fine. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but this but the rules of the storytelling of this show is like this would be a show that would be more inclined to actually show you some of that. Like they're not showing you people pooping for the most part, except for uh, a couple of exceptions. One very famous scene. Yeah. Right. But uh, this show does show lots of sections that lots of things that other shows don't. So. It's like right. the style of storytelling, which is not really a rule because like they're make, you can make the show any way you want. You could change the rules of storytelling as seasons progress. Lots of shows do that all the time and it's fun, like The Leftovers, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but then the, the in-universe rules, depending on... I mean, I, I feel like the in-universe rules thing is like when a show is not working, people will cite the violation of the in-universe rules uh, and it's usually better to follow the in-universe rules for a variety of reasons and sometimes not following them can cause the show not to work but the exception is sometimes the show works despite the fact that it is completely disregarding its own rules all the time doctor mm -hmm. who is the canonical example of this where there are no rules essentially and yet somehow the show finds some way to still work which makes no sense because there are never any stakes and there were never any in-universe rules about anything there's barely even loose guidelines how can you have any drama or attention and they somehow manage to do it every once in a while um, so that's what one extreme, but I don't mm -hmm. think Game of Thrones was at the other extreme. I don't think Game of Thrones was like a super rules oriented show, both in the storytelling and in the in-universe stuff. I feel mm -hmm. like it was, 
you know, the storytelling was fairly consistent for the first six or so seasons. The in-universe rules have always been kind of loosey-goosey. I always interpreted that as like, well, I never read the book, so I assume all this is much better explained in the books. But for the show, they give you the Cliff's Notes. And mm-hmm. if there's something that seems confusing, it's probably because it's it's actually more complicated than they had time to tell us in a TV show. But it actually does fit within like the book rules because books tend to be a little bit better about that. But I, it never really bothered me because I was mostly, 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 mostly you know, it, it's like it, it's definitely not as ridiculous as Doctor Who. And I was like, OK, the rules are good enough that... I can understand the yeah. stakes and and the drama, right? Yeah. Um. The um. There's there's a word I I was trying to deliberately avoid because I I was trying not to say um that it subverts or ignores the logic of the show. Although I think you, you could say that the example that I gave when we talked about this a little bit on Do by Friday recently was, you know, this cuts this cuts a whole bunch of different ways. There's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of uh, biases, shortcuts, heuristics, and guesses over the past, let's say, five or six years about, you know, whether it's just assuming that anybody who's a woman writing about video games is probably just a a horrible whore who is just having intercourse with everybody and is completely corrupt. Like, there's that kind of guessing about the logic of how that industry works. The other example I gave on Dubai Friday has to do with, oh, yeah, so you're, you're really mad about how fast Ray got good at uh, doing fight stuff with uh, Kylo Ren. Like that got you so mad about how it ruined your childhood that like, she's really good with her lightsaber, you know? But like, (laughs) but, but there's all kinds of other stuff that like is okay in that fantasy speculative fiction world where you, you would not think as much about that, about like a dude having that. Maybe it's because she's a girl that you got real mad. So like when I say, when I say, so I'm trying to avoid logic. And the reason I say, well, let me throw it back to you. Um, that's why I was not saying logic. As far as rules, I'll, I'm going to just keep my powder dry because I do have an extremely specific example of this that is far from original, but I think I can explain it with an example. But what do you think? No, go ahead. No, give me your example. Okay, this is something that has been heavily cited. You think about how, I believe season six, the last episode, I believe that is the one um, where, we got spoilers here. So it's the, I believe that's the one where Cersei blows up the Sept. I believe yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I believe it's the one where Arya gets her like the culmination of Arya's training is like she does a faceless man on Walder Frey, and basically, <laughs> in a wonderful bit of abbreviated storytelling, he opens up the pie and it's got his son's thumb in it, and you're like, oh my god! Like what? What a wonderful way to bring a whole bunch of threads together. Like this is where the reigns of Castamir happen. Like, you know, this is where the Red Wedding happened. This is like, this goes all the way back to like, we need to cross the bridge. So Rob has to promise that he's going to marry one of his like weird daughters. This goes back so, so, so far. And this is the culmination of so much Walder Frey nonsense. He's like 90 in the book. Um, but like, like that, that was, I think, the final episode of season six. And, and I think so, to the point I want to try to make here, which is, again, not original, is that when they got into this very heavily accelerated storytelling out of what imagines a need to wrap things up for whatever reason. One of the things that went out the window in a lot of ways for the narrative, and forgive me if you've heard this, because you've certainly heard this, but they started relying a lot on either bizarre athletic skills or athletic ravens. Um, like all of a sudden there's a lot of heavy lifting. A great example would be, oh my God, so wait a minute. So Gendry ran all the way back to the castle 
And somehow a raven got to Daenerys in time for her to bring dragons north of the wall before these guys figured out how the water would work and how they, and it's like the whole, that whole thing. Right. And so, so, well, that's frustrating because on the one hand, that's frustrating because you're like, oh, hey, you know, yellow card. That's not how this is supposed to work. And examples people will give is like you, we spent a whole season in like Marine or like there are all these things. But like, here's why I want to make this particular point. The travel stuff matters because I was thinking about it this afternoon and trying to think of examples of seasons I've seen recently or things I found memorable. And I was realizing how much of my own favorite characters on the show got rich as characters because of us watching them travel. Some of the most like great character development, great narrative development. Like it's when the Hodor gang is like traveling around and they meet up with the the dude and his sister and Bran learns more about, you know, the about warging and the three-eyed raven stuff. Like that all happened while they were traveling from here to there over a really long time. Arya and the Hound, that relationship, that complex relationship they had that led to such a like, eh, kind of payoff in the last episode. We watched them travel and like be like a comedy duo for so long. Uh, Beric Thoros and the Hound, another hit with the Hound, is those those guys doing their stuff together. Jesus Christ, season three, Jamie and Brienne. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That's it's uh, that's where I am right now. Um, I just got to the one where his hand gets chopped off by the guy from Episodes. And, uh, oh my gosh, their journey together or look at John and the wildlings with the greet and like, look at, look at all the stuff that's like just them walking around on their way to climb the wall. There's so much going on, not just, you know, boning down, but there's so much we learn about the characters and how they react to each other. So, uh, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting emotional about this, but like, it's not just that the rules got broken in that sense. It's that the rules about how long it takes to get places had an impact on character development and owing to the fact that it took a long time to get from one place to the other, that's when some of our the best stuff kind of comes out. And isn't it also interesting? Can you think of examples, just as a quick side route here, can you think of examples where we learned a ton, excluding Tyrion, who used to be kind of a bad guy, kind of? <laughs> can, oh, you know what? I was going to say, there aren't that many things we learn about the people we don't like as much with these, but now I'm thinking of Ramsay Bolton when he lets Theon ride the horse. But it's mostly the people we really like. We learn a lot about them on these journeys. So that's, that's to me where the rubber kind of meets the road is that I'm not saying it always had to be this way, but so much of the disappointment we felt welling up in these last two seasons and particularly these last few episodes comes out of, oh my God, you had this, this slow, slow, slow buildup of letting us get to know our friends. And then by the time we get to the end, it feels like there just wasn't, there wasn't a lot of payoff on that development in a way that made sense with where we got into at that point. Yeah, I think, I think it's worth touching on the, thing you mentioned with the the dragon flight and the the travel rules and whatever and it, like this is the first order version of why in falling in in universe rules is helpful to the drama but i think it, we have to touch on it before we move on to the second order effects and all the other stuff it's not because you're like i just want to be a rules lawyer and be like that's not the way it would work and being a pedant and like you know missing the forest or the trees it's because in storytelling and drama the audience has a certain set of rules in their head and that produces the drama so in that episode that we were talking about where john is like he's out on an ice flow or something and he's in peril and is surrounded by these zombie things the reason we're worried the reason the the reason there exists drama is because given the the rules of the show as established up to that point the audience is thinking oh no john there's no one 
nearby mm-hmm. to help him. They're going to have to find something as as dumb as dumb as the artifice of that like whole dumb trip was. Like you would you would be excused for going into that thinking. The only way they're going to get out of this is by finding <laughs> something like a a a, a dragon glass style siege weapon or some kind of creative solution of their own that it's not going to be as they say a deus ex machina. Right, there's no because, way there's no way anybody could come help them in that right, amount and of that time. produces the drama if we knew daenerys was around the, the corner in the mountain with her dragon there wouldn't be as much drama of him being surrounded because we're like well there's no drama daenerys is just around the corner she's just gonna walk 10 steps and she'll be out around the mountain and she'll she'll save them right but we knew that daenerys was really far away and they had gone on this long journey and so they're kind of out on their own so when when they send a runner like and she comes back in time for them to like they were there like a, for a night or something it doesn't feel satisfying because we felt we feel cheated we felt the drama according to the rules and then they violated the rules to resolve the drama it's not satisfying storytelling so that's the, the first order reason that those rules exist the second order thing that you were talking about is like okay the rule the specific rules for game of thrones in terms of how the show is made uh, it's not like we care about how fast people can walk. It's like that in this show, they chose to show a lot of the walking, maybe early on for budget reasons, but really it ends up giving you a lot of time to expand the characters. And honestly, books do this all the time. Like the, the Lord of the Rings is all people walking around. Like, right, right, right. That's, you know, the <laughs> high fantasy happens when you're making other plans. Like this, it's, <laughs> it's basically <laughs> friendship and long walks. Yeah. Um, and that's the and the show had reveled in that and had built the characters on it. Um, now I'm, I want to get into a an aspect of the show that made it particularly difficult to end. There are lots of things that make it difficult to end, mm-hmm. not least of which is running out of books, uh, source material. But part of the reason people loved the books, I imagine, and the show for sure, is its fearlessness in killing off characters which you make it sound like it's always described as killing off characters which just like puts the puts the author front and center as if like they're there and they're killing them right but that's when the show caught on is when ned was gone before the end of season one that's when a lot of people came to the show because they'd heard about this incredibly shocking thing the literal star of the show it's like janet lee dying in yeah uh, well, well, Hitchcock Bean, movie. So, i mean we kind of know well sean bean likes to die in things but i thought maybe this time he would live but no um but yeah, so those are that's a different set of rules, which is storytelling rules as compared to the storytelling rules in most other stories. Um, and rather than like, it's not actually like the author kill. Obviously, it is the author killing off because they're controlling what happens. But it is it's the opposite of that. It's a show daring to make a world where death is much more arbitrary than it is in other things like the, the hand of the author is very so often felt because like there's your main characters and they're mostly going to live and people are going to die and there's going to be karmic justice it's going to make the audience feel good but real world is not like that at all especially during wartime and so it, there's been a trend i don't know how long this trend has been going, probably for the history of moving pictures but like a certain genre of, of war movie or, or crime story or whatever that is less precious and that the what the hand of the author does is pretend there's no hand of the author that if you're in a dangerous situation, anybody could die for any reason. They may not be at the end of their traditional story arc, but they catch a stray bullet, right? Or yeah. and and it se- and that makes it feel whether it be more real or more shocking or a subversion of what you expect, or it increases the stakes, or like it gives the message that they want to give, which is that no one is protected. Everyone is the main character of their own story, and no one has any guarantees of life or death. But if that's your strategy, and it totally was in Game of Thrones. 
eventually, unless you continually refresh them, which is difficult, your cast of characters that the audience loves starts to dwindle. And if you're trying to have a story arc where there is some kind of cohesive ending, presumably surrounding a throne of some kind, given the show and its title, you will get to the point where, not that you have to stop that, but your cast starts shrinking. And as as much as we all love when all those people died, we also love those characters. Like Tywin Lannister will never be on the show again, Mm -hmm. right? He's gone, and he was great, and his end was you know fitting. And it it was was, it was so fun to to like to like he was far from the worst person on the show. But like it's so fun to hate Ramsay Bolton. It's so fun to like oh God Stannis, like you're a war criminal man, like you're a murderer, (laughs) you're the worst. And like but yeah, but then when they go. Yeah, exactly. You're, it's, you, have, you have fewer people. And once you get you down to- You can't just insert a poochie for like later seasons. Yeah, and you can make new characters and some long-running shows that aren't trying to come to an ending do that. They just produce- I mean, ER is a great example. You lose characters because they go off to bigger and better things. You bring in new ones. You remake the show. Like it, it takes on a life of its own. But Game of Thrones is not the type of story. So by the time we're down to a handful, you have this problem. Mm-hmm. You have to change the rules of storytelling to say- there's not going to be quite as much seemingly arbitrary death going on because if we did that, we'd like have nobody left. And I mean, you could still go that route because thinking about how the show could end, given the first couple of seasons, if uh, the conclusion was that literally every single person the audience cared about died a fairly unremarkable death and, you know, descended into chaos and some other person rose that would probably be very realistic um i think i said in a very early incomparable episode about game of thrones that one of the things i liked about the show i was talking about this specific aspect i wish i remember how it said it but it's basically like very often in, in, in traditional storytelling the the people who are either there at the end or are doing the important things are the people best equipped to do those things, they are the most mm-hmm. heroic or have the most dramatic story. Sort of like Walking Dead, right? Like you always, you'd always said, Glenn, you know, Glenn's going to make it all the way to the end because like he's the ultimate survivor. Right. Cause that was, that was the, his established character. And, you know, it, it was like character purpose equals character destiny. Whereas in Game of Thrones, it was the reverse. It was, the person who's going to do the important thing, like the person who ends up being important is not important because they were the cleverest or the strongest or had the, you know, the lineage or the, or the, or the most important or had the most dramatic scenes or the character everybody loved. The only reason you're important is because all the other people who are way more important than you are dead. Mm-hmm. Like so Rick it's Devins. like, yeah. who, like whoever is left, you are by default the important person, not because of who you are, but because you happen to survive. And that's, mm-hmm. again, the way it is in actual war and stuff like that. Like, who are the people telling their stories of the war? The people who lived and why did they live and the other people didn't? Nothing to do really with them for the most part. If anything, right. the more heroic people tended to die more because they were putting themselves in risk. Because if you're, just, if you're just like standing standing in the wrong place at the wrong time, you, you would not, not necessarily in this show, but like, yeah, I mean, in a war, like you just had bad luck that day. It wasn't your day. Yeah, and, and so the like all the characters who are a couple of seasons in who are still around, like you could see from season one that they were the most, like, you know, Arya was going to be the most important character. No, not at all. Like Arya 
could have died in season one, episode one. Like, so could Bran, and it almost did. Like, they were not, they didn't become who they were because they were the most important or capable character. They're merely the ones who are left. And that's how actual life works. The people who are left are the people who, the, the pool of people who could potentially be the hero. You don't get to choose that based on who is the best hero. Otherwise, Rob would still be alive, right? You, right. It's all, it's just who is left. But towards the end of the show, you can't, you're not going to be the, you're not going to be the hero in season eight if you died in season three. Yeah. But towards the end of the show, you can't keep doing that because unless you've been constantly refreshing characters and people won't like that either. Like, say you introduced a character in, you know, season five and a half mm-hmm. and they end up on the Iron Throne. You'd be like, what? No, you can't do that. They, they, that's a new character. It looks like no, well, everyone else that's is not, dead. That's not, fair, that's not fair play. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone else is dead. And the show could have gone in that direction, but it chose not to. At a certain point, it said, okay, we've got our sort of ending configuration here and we have to, to play this out. And then... Briefly, I mean, I think I'll talk about this. I think I'm going to be on the incomparable uh, Game of Thrones episode, so I'll get to talk about it more. But uh, my general take is, given given the ending of the show as dictated by either George R. R. Martin or the show or whatever, like they had picked how they wanted it to end. And there are rumors that they had picked that ending a long time ago, like in season three or something. Like specifically the the brand? Uh, and yeah, that who, who's going to end up on the throne? Who's going to live? Who's going to die? Or like how it's all going to come down in broad strokes, like not mm-hmm. the specific details, but like basically brand brands going to end up on the throne. Like big, big story beats. Yeah, Be, These people will be dead. These people do this, you know, whatever. There is no way to get to that destination by the beginning of season seven. They'd already blown it. Like if that was where they if they knew they needed wanted to go there by season, uh, you know, in season three. Mm-hmm. they had already blown it like by the time they got to seven two whole seasons is not enough to turn that ship to get them to where they wanted to go in a satisfying manner and that's 100 mm-hmm. percent on them and i think people are you know it, it's understandable that people didn't like that and it's not because characters didn't do something they didn't want it it's just it didn't fit with the rest of the story and examining why that's the case you have to kind of get meta and say was the audience experiencing a different story than the show makers thought they were putting out? Or there's actually three parties here. There's the actors. Mm-hmm. There's the actors, uh, like how they were playing the characters and they have something in mind. Yeah, Peter Dinklage, interviews I've seen with Dinklage, he seems like, uh, on the face of it, surprisingly unsentimental, where he's like, you know, I'm an actor. I, I, yeah, it's, it's been a good thing to do and I love these people and what we made, but like, I'm, I'm an actor, I go to the next thing. Like to have all of that talent available in Ireland for that long is a, is a big ask. Yeah, and some some of the actors are like uh, this is this is why I'm putting them in as the the third party in this mix here with the audience, the creators, and the actors. Some of the actors felt like what I was asked to do with my character didn't fit with how I had been playing my character for the previous six seasons, mm-hmm. uh, and that was you know disappointing to them. Um, but like, it's not you know I, it, the the opinion that I see occasionally thrown around to counter the people who have complaints about it is that you just don't like what happened. And that's, you know, I, I totally reject that because there can be lots of shows where you don't like what happens and that can actually be a good ending. It can be a tragic ending, right? So mm-hmm. you, you can, the, the show could have ended tragically. A character that you love could have failed to overcome their demons and had a, met a terrible end. And when that, that story works, the audience is sad. The audience would be crying. They would be upset that it's a tragedy. Good mm-hmm. tragedy, like tragedy works. If instead people go, huh? That's not tragedy. And it's not the audience disagreeing with the, what the characters no. did. It's saying you didn't pull off what you were trying to do because you, 
you want to engender the correct reaction. That was that's not what that's not what was on the screen. Like if you if you bought a ticket to a Trailblazers game, you shouldn't find yourself at a Harlem Globetrotters game because they're literally using a ladder. Yeah, like very rarely is the reaction you want from the audience com- complete puzzlement. Like it, you can make the audience angry. Like lots of lots of things the exactly. characters do in shows yes. make people angry and say, "I'm never watching this again because this character did a thing that I didn't like." But if you if like if you viscerally felt like what the story wanted you to feel, then it's still a success, right? But if instead you're like, this doesn't make any sense and you're pulled out of it, mm-hmm. it's failing to do it's failing to do a thing that you wanted. It's also failing to successfully do a thing that you didn't want. It is just bad storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like and and not like super duper bad, but like we but see I more mean, examples this, of this. Disappointing given yeah, g- given how you got to where you are. I mean, you run into this all the time. It could be like when uh, that's gonna sound trivial, but when a comic book that you like, you know, changes writer. And you're like, oh man, like <laughs> I understand the need to change the guard sometimes, but like, oh man, you really, you don't get this character and like, they don't like who suddenly inflated their abilities. You know, there's, there's a million ways. Yeah, and but the thing, when a different author takes over a comic book, sometimes they can say, okay, well, I'm not, but I'm going to make a fresh start. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And they, and they, they sort of start anew, but you can't do that in the last two seasons of a show and say, well, I have a different take on this show. Is this, there's not enough time. And unlike a comic book where you can like, rebooted or have a new interpretation of a character some people will like this interpretation some mm-hmm. people won't but if you wait long enough someone else will get a take that's not this type of thing this yeah. is a, a, a complete story it should try to be cohesive in some way and if you had like middle school students writing stories you'd see much more of this because you know, if someone who's not a good storyteller or writer tries to write a story very often this happens because they have sort of a, a plot structure in mind but they're not good about building characters and in a consistent way to either end whether to a tragic end where we are rooting for a character for the entire story and in the end they fail and it's heartbreaking that's a kind of story you can tell it's actually mm-hmm. pretty difficult to do but you can do that or we're rooting for a character and they they face adversity and against all odds they triumph right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but if, if a character is a certain way and then suddenly another character who has the same name but acts entirely different uh, comes in or does things that don't make sense within the context of the story, whether they be the rules or the character as developed or anything like that. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work out. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work as a story people. And you like, if you read, you know, creative writing of a middle school student, you see it all the time. Like their stories don't work really that well. Like they're not put together. Well, the pieces don't fit and nobody says like, it's like it, the, it, nothing it isn't you don't you don't get that sense of like this causes that to happen and that causes that to happen and the cause part is important where you know what i'm saying like there's not a sense of like sort of like logical continuity because then you end up with these money python like moments where suddenly somebody like has an arrow in their heart and they fall over and you're like hmm, i'm not sure if that you know totally makes sense yeah, and, and if you were critiquing it in creative writing class you'd say like well early on you you were establishing this so we like you spent a lot of time showing us this about this character but later on uh this happens but it doesn't it doesn't feel like it matches because you didn't show us like if that was in there and then the person would say oh no you didn't what you didn't know was that this character actually had this thing deep inside them and you didn't you didn't but you have it's like you have to show us that the part of the storytelling is to bring us along for that you can't just it's like you know again introducing a character the last minute and say oh i didn't tell you about this character but it's this person's best friend and they've been with them the whole time and and they have superpowers (laughs) and so when they were in danger it's like you have to you have to tell me about that it's like right well, that's, but, that's, but, that's, but, I'm, but I'm writing the story. I don't have to fair, tell you, but you just don't like what play. happened. Yeah. 
you just don't like what happened. It's like, no, no, mm. like storytelling, you have to, it works in a certain way. You have to bring the audience along with you. Um, and so uh, getting back to the three parties thing, the audience has a, a certain story they think is being told. The actors have a certain story that they are telling through their performances. And then the writers have the story that they think they're telling. And I think in Game of Thrones, I think the audience and the actors were more on the same page than the quote unquote show creators were. Um, independent of the rushed f- t- last season stuff like that mm-hmm. but all the interviews i see with the uh, the two what's what's their names the two d people D&D. on the show is that the show that they had in their head <laughs> they seem, was they not seem the show so bored. i'm not i'm not saying this means anything but they seem so tired and bored <laughs> yeah i mean they're probably burned out but like yeah, who but wouldn't even be? just who wouldn't be even earlier like i just feel like the show they thought they were making was not the show the audience was seeing it was not the show that the the actors were acting and it really came through once they hmm. were forced to put the pieces together to get to the destination. That's so interesting. I, I wouldn't have expected that take from you. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And then but to get specific so I can stop talking in vagaries uh, briefly, like the, the idea that they knew that Daenerys was going to be the Mad Queen in season three. Mm-hmm. If they knew that, they did the world's worst job of getting her to be the Mad Queen starting in season three. Oh, yeah. Like, it, I, I don't need one more Twitter take of like, if you're surprised by what Danny did, you haven't been paying attention. It's like, well, actually, right, I've yeah. super been paying attention. And like, what was on the screen was not what we saw. What I saw was a Jean Grey, like a kind of like a, a, a neutered dark phoenix moment where suddenly she had power and went crazy like a lady does. Like, that's yeah, no, I, that's not that, that really. That's I, I, like, the thing is. You can, the creators can say, oh, that was in her all along, blah, 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 genetic destiny, all sorts of bad motivations. But like the show spent, (laughs) the show spent six seasons showing us what kind of person she is. She was in the show a lot. She's not like she's a minor character. She was always in it. It's funny though, like over time, how much she was kind of in it, not a different show, but like she was like one of the major characters who was really uh, geographically and narratively like doing a different thing so much of the time. And what she was asked to do over and over again was to deal with difficult situations where she had to moderate her her impulses, mm-hmm. select the right time to strike, be patient, and all that all, like the goal that she was always going was to to save the innocent and the downtrodden from right. oppressors. And she did that over and over again. She didn't provoke anybody powerful that she couldn't beat for a, for what she considered to be a good reason. Yeah, and she she like she was all about saving the innocent and the oppressed, and they had her do it over and over again, and they had her do it in a measured way. And yes, she had advisors and all that other stuff. And it's like if you wanted to build her up to be to eventually be the Mad Queen, you can't spend six seasons having her doing that because you don't have enough time left to turn that ship. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Not them saying the ship can't be turned. You can get from there to Mad Queen, but you can't do it in two seasons. You probably can't do it in three or four. The turning point for her, like. If you think of all those seasons, like her motives are so pure that she brings people, she gathers good characters that we know to herself. She's naive. She's at every point she has to become less naive about how the system works. And she does. Yeah. And she she gathers to herself people who are looking for, for I, I, you know, honorable people who need to be inspired by her idealism. They're not inspired by her her ruthlessness. Tyrion has plenty of ruthless people in his life. That's not why he pledges allegiance. Mormont is not you know, head over heels for her because she is savage and powerful. It's about her general good nature of fighting for the oppressed and trying to do the right thing and being measured despite like, you know, she has all the reason in the world to lash out. She has actual dragons. 
she locks them up at one point because they're killing people's goats for crying out loud. Right. Like, right. And, and it, again, you can get from there to Mad Queen eventually, but you can't do it in two seasons. But, you know, it, it's 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 more fun when you show your work. Yeah. So so they spend way too long establishing Daenerys as the the actor was playing her and as the audience was receiving her. And because they needed her to get to be the Mad Queen, they tried to turn that ship in like three episodes. And it was not good storytelling, not because we don't want her to be the Mad Queen. The Mad Queen is an excellent endpoint. If you would sketch the outline of the show before season one, I said, this is going to be super cool. I love yeah. the way you're going to end it. But they blew it. They like they didn't tell that story well. And that's, I think, mainly what people are mad about, that it's not that the story is upsetting and people people have reasons to be upset, like, why does she have to be the Mad Queen? Why can't she be triumphant? Blah, blah, blah. But regardless of how you feel about that story, it did not tell it well. And that's why people are mad. And it is 100 percent rational. And, you know, you know, we got six great seasons of television out of it and then two not so good ones. So mm-hmm. net net, we're still pretty, doing pretty good. But, yeah, I I, I think. I think the reaction to this has actually been, as that I've seen, fairly measured. Um, perhaps because the book people can be like, well, this is just a TV show anyway. Maybe the books will do it better because the books are all off on the side. But mostly because the criticism of this, all of the stories I found uh, to be critical of this, I read them and like, I would I'd say every single one of them, this story has good points. Like, maybe they chose to focus on a particular aspect of it. Maybe they're, you know, they're overly focused on a particular aspect, but they all had good points, mostly points not based on fanboy whining, mostly points not based entirely on misogyny. Like they were good points about how to tell a good story. So I think the world's collective media reaction to the end of Game of Thrones has been fairly measured and intelligent and pretty much spot on. Like I haven't seen an article trashing the ending where I've been like, well, this person is totally off base. They have no idea what they're talking about. All of them, I've, I felt like they had good points. And mm-hmm. I haven't seen a lot of articles gushing about it. And in general, I feel like, well, that's, 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 that is, I mean, not to do the opposite of what you're describing, which is actually the same thing, but like, you know, that's a take right now is the contrarian. Like it turns out this was actually one of the best finales ever. And like, you know, here's my 800 words on that, yeah. which is fine. But, it's fine. But, but yeah, but that but once it's a backlash type of thing, I can see, but, but like I think overall, like uh-huh. the, getting the impression that the people were, you know, in general, dis- more disappointed when these with the last season or two, than uh, than the creators would have liked. I just want to interject something quick. Um, I don't need to go into huge amounts of detail. A link that I sent you that I will just, um, one of my favorite takes on this in Scientific American blog, the real reason fans hate the last season of Game of Thrones, which I think is a little more clickbaity than it needs to be. It's overly focused on one particular aspect, but I think it's it's a good insight. Well, here's, here's I think this is in some ways the nut graph for me. And so so it's this, the, the deck on this, it's not just... <laughs> writes these it's not just bad storytelling it's because the storytelling style changed from sociological to psychological what a shame that they buried the lead there of like huh that's actually really thought-provoking rather than focusing on everybody's emotions about it like i kind of like what this person said and this is the nut graph i think at its best game of thrones was a beast as rare as uh, as a friendly dragon in king's landing it was sociological and institutional storytelling in a medium dominated by the psychological and the individual. That's a little hoity-toity, but I, I take their meaning. This structural storytelling era of the show lasted through the seasons when it was based on the novels um, by George R. R. Martin, who seemed to specialize in having characters evolve in response to the broader institutional settings, incentives, and norms that surround them. Sounds a lot like The Wire. 
um, and the reason I mentioned this here, and, and at this point, I will uh, seed myself a little bit of hopefully not too whiny stuff here. But as somebody who has been, it's been a weird week. I, I re- got very close to, I'm very close to the 50% mark in the book right now. And I'm, I will rewatch season one, skipped over season two, watching season three. Um, I mean, season two is good, but like season three is real good and very controversial. But boy, weird timing to be doing that. Maybe not weird timing, maybe not a coincidence at all to be jumping into those particular uh, pieces of the media as against what's happening with the way this show ended. Um, I love this, love that idea though. Characters evolve in response to the broader institutional settings, incentives, and norms that surround them. Again, sounds a little fancy schmancy. Another way that I would put this is that the psychological developments that we get out of these characters, the characters who, as I will continue to stipulate, whether you agree with them or not, the reason they do what they do is they think they are doing the right thing while feeling um, all of the, if you like, rules, <laughs> all of the pressures of whatever society they live in. Like it's, it's a lot like The Wire in a lot of ways, but but in the in the best seasons of this show, there's some specific examples of like, <sighs> let me just really dumb it down. When people did die, even if it was for what seems to us perhaps like kind of an unexpected or quote unquote random reason, it had consequences. Meaning, like even, you know, what, what is that line from the Pixar, you know, how to tell a story deck? You know, um, you can use you can use a coincidence to get into the plot, but you should never use a coincidence, coincidence to resolve the plot. You know, one of those kind of pretty good rules of thumb until you find something better. But like, for example, like, you know, with what happened with Ned, well, let's go all the way back. The attempted killing of Bran animates so much of what happens in this show. Because it goes back to Littlefinger, and there's a lot you don't even realize for quite a while, like how much how those events got animated. The case of Ned certainly huge impact. It's what sends Arya on the run. Like obviously that's a big one. But how about this? Let me give you a weird angle on this. Cal Drogo, right? He's he's the baddest mother <laughs> in this in this scene. He is in this tribe of of horsemen who are just atavistic and brutal and superstitious, but like, he's just crazy effing strong. And like, he seems like a guy where like, it might take a dragon to kill that guy. But what happens? He gets nicked. (laughs) He gets nicked on the man boob and it goes bad. He doesn't want to get treated for it. And that in the end ends up killing him, but it also animates the whole plot line about how we kind of get to the dragon stuff, right? It's like, it was meaningful, like how he was, in some ways it was, uh, it's not just like, oh, wow, it ain't it ironical that he got injured by a glancing blow from this guy he could easily kill. It was his response to that that was important. It was Daenerys's response and how she should treat that, right? And then that gets into this whole storyline with the woman who was raped three times before Daenerys could save her. And you, it goes on and on and on. There's so many threads of like, it just keeps strength. I don't want to overstate this, but it keeps strengthening this narrative rope. Like everything is contributing to this story, 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 building up, world, 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 building up. But like when somebody does die, it has consequences and it's meaningful. You know, rather than, and I'll just be snippy for a minute, rather than being in some situations where like, I couldn't really tell is John deserting the Night's Watch to go shack up with Tormund? Or is he just taking the wildlings back? And there's just like a lot of stuff where it's like, I feel like I, I like, it better when I had a clear sense that there were consequences to what happened here. And like the Sopranos, like the wire, it's not about 
one star and their relationship to everybody else. What makes it great is it's all about the relationships, A, between all of the different characters, but B, also how they react to the big system in which they're all part of the the big machine. And so, like, you know, if I'm sitting here and sounding really emotional, it's because, like, it is, it's so wild to go back and watch these episodes and go like, oh my God, I can't believe that was an hour that went by. But then on the other hand, I cannot believe how much was in that one episode. This story just keeps getting bigger and wider without becoming shallower. It, it, gets, it gets better and it gets deeper. And when they had the characters and when they had the different kingdoms, and like, oh, okay, now we're getting into Dorne and what's going on with them? Like at all those waypoints, it, it enhances the meaningfulness of the characters and their relationships um, rather than cheapening them. And so then to, to your point, though, you get to the Battle of Winterfell or whatever it was called, and it's like, oh, man, episode before that, you know Brienne's going to die. You know Tormund's going to die. You know all these people are going to die. So, like, it would sound awful to say, like, oh, I'm really bummed Brienne didn't die because she's practically my favorite character. Or she's the moral heart of this show. But, like, you're also, you do feel a little bit ripped off in the sense of, like, you set me up for that. And then when they didn't die, it's just kind of a weird mirror world version of like, isn't it weird that Cal Drogo died from this fairly minor wound? It's like that their living should oh, yeah, have been that... their living should have been meaningful. The fact that they were in these implausible situations where how many times does Sam almost die under a pile of zombies? Then he's still somehow alive. Jamie's in a corner in the dark and like Yeah, that was just bad directing because they are bad, bad storytelling because they wanted to have the drama of those moments, but they didn't want to pay them off. And it's again because they they were running out of characters and they had decided those people were going to make it through to the end. So they do. But you also want to have drama. So you see them almost dying and eventually you just become numb to it. But there's like five people against 100,000 zombies at one point. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's yeah, there was lots of lots of problems on how to get to where they wanted to go in that amount of time because you did have the Night King hanging around. But like your other point about the. The various players and the institutions that that uh, that animate them and that they have to work within, like it's the only reason for the first couple of seasons that the Lannisters are sympathetic at all, is because you understand the system under which they're toiling and the particular person and like why they have to do what they have to do. You know, do they really hate the Starks or do they hate their own dad more or like you know? This- well, and like how long it takes Tyrion before he becomes a master of coin to figure out how much money they owe to Baratheons owe to his family. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Stuff like in the book. There's these amazing chapters where I, I talked about this on Twitter, but like where Ned, I, I imagine you remember this from season one, but where he's kind of tracking down the John Aaron mystery and he's like tracking down all the leads and he's getting all in all of his POV chapters. He's doing this basic Columbo stuff of having to go around and find out like who John Aaron had been talking to and what it means. And it's when he discovers um, uh, Gendry. And it's like, Gendry? Gendry. And, and so like all the stuff that you get in a slightly abbreviated, but still very powerful version in, in the show, like in the book, it's a slog of Ned taking this job that he never wanted, um, much like his bastard son, I guess, or his formerly bastard son. Yeah, he never wanted that job. He didn't want it. He wanted to be loyal to his friend. Like he's loyal to a fault and it becomes his undoing. He's loyal to his family to a fault. But you get to see the dreary march of him having to deal with the King's Landing Institution. He's going to have to talk to Littlefinger to find the money for this goddamn tournament that Robert wants to put on that everybody keeps calling the hands tournament. He's like, it's not mine. I don't want to do it. <laughs> it's not my fault, but it is my problem. But that slog of him being Columbo all over King's Landing is like well, such a page turner, like like of him having to go through this slog of figuring figuring out like how we got to John Aaron being dead by like back solving from the people that he talked to. And oh my gosh, what is it about this book that he was so interested in? And guess what? 
that now has become the animating factor and a huge part of the rest of the show. Hair of black, hair of black, hair of blonde. And it's like, oh, no. And it, but it took a walk to get there is all. And when he got to it, it was such a great payoff because you were like, you're there for him every step of the way when he's columboing. Yeah, that, that all, all those uh, machinations of the of the plot in the early seasons bring up like the the more the more mundane failure of the the last season, like the specific things of, of Daenerys's turn and stuff. Like, I feel like that's those are details and they're and they're certainly important. But like the the mundane thing is like what it, what do people enjoy about the show? All the things you just described that you were getting excited about. Yeah, the institutions, the people, and how cleverly our favorites, whether they're we love to hate them or just love them, try to navigate, try to navigate and fail, try to navigate and succeed like it, the, the literal game of thrones. Like it's a, it's a lot like how, you know, people like Downton Abbey or those other, you know, Pride and Prejudice or those sort of things where there there are there is, you know, Downton Abbey is a great thing. It's a huge institution there, their cultural institution of how they live their lives. And the story happens within that framework and that framework influences the story entirely. And it's fun to watch people try to navigate that. Right. It, it is like the framework in which they're they're working. And in Game of Thrones, it was the most satisfying when you saw all these players in their own little institutions with their own interrelationships trying to do just the right move to get the things to happen the way they want them to and how disastrously they go wrong for some people yeah. and how people seize opportunities. Right. So when when it comes time to end the show, what shows want to do is whatever it is that you loved about the show give you like the best version of that like hmm. not to say go out with a bang like in terms of explosions but and i'll get to that in a second but like not necessarily fan service but like a lot of whatever it is that brought you there but like yeah for like so sheldon's for example, elevator set, works or yeah. whatever yeah setting aside the the night king which is a problem for another reason <sighs> cersei she's she's she ends up where she ends up through two a, seasons, a whole bunch of great two seasons in a window <laughs> yeah great great uh great story that leads her to where she is and She's so well set up by that point as like, look how, look where she started and look where she ended up. Look what she had to go through to get there. Mm -hmm. The the sept blowing up is a, is a great end. And, and, you know, Tom and dip like so dramatic, so heartbreaking and tragic and cruel and all that stuff. Like, and the the people with Dorne and how she navigated that and losing her daughters and the whole Stark and the Lannis, like all that interplay to resolve this finally to get someone on the throne if that's how you decide you want to end the show which you don't have to but if that's the way i wanted to go what you want to see is the most cleverest moves the most daring and dramatic the mm-hmm. the, the like like it's like survivor you know. like like this like the way this season of survivor ended no spoilers like i was real mad about it at first but then i was like you know what that actually was kind of a baller and, that, and that's not even a scripted show right right right, right. exactly but like that guy I'm not going to spoil this season because it was pretty good, but like there's a move that happens in the last episode that is, that it's utterly disruptive in a way I could never have predicted. And the more I think about it, the more I was like, that guy did, that was a baller move. And, and the show, and the show built up to that. Not again, it's not scripted. It just so happens like what makes a good season. Right. But if you, but if you're writing it, you want to be like, all right, there's going to be dramatic things that happen. And there's going to be people who do things that are clever. And there's going to be. You couldn't have written the way that that guy ingratiated himself on Edge of Extinction. Like all the little bits that built up to that end. And yeah, like Mm -hmm. you say, that's 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 with a reality show. Right. And so so the, the mundane thing you have to do with the ending of your show is whatever it is that people loved about it. 
give the best of that like and i hope mm. you didn't blow it because like the most like you could say like maybe the red wedding we already blew like it's going to be the most shocking thing like the end maybe is not going to be the most shocking because nothing's going to be more shocking than the red wedding for people who didn't know but it can be the most interesting or clever or intricate or dramatic turnabout so like all the things that we love of like what's his name the the guy from doran winning that battle but then losing it like just the reversals like all that great stuff mm-hmm. condense that into one little concentrated dose to go out on Right. And instead, they did the opposite and that what they seem to have in their head is we're going to go out with a bang, literally, as in we're going to have lots of big armies smashing up against each other. It's like, no, that's not the show that you did for six seasons was not about armies smashing up against each other. Sometimes the armies were even off screen because you didn't have the budget to put them on screen. It was all about everything we just talked about. So I cared about Battle of the Bastards because John was at the bottom of the pile. Like, and that, that was, that was amazing storytelling, amazing visuals, incredible sound. But at the heart of it, I was just like, oh God, Jon Snow, please, you've just made a rash decision about how you're going to deal with this battle that you're almost certainly going to yeah, lose. Because you just of Rickon your, and, and Yeah, because of Rickon. And yeah, he got, he got suckered into another Bolton trap. But then the moment when he, the bodies are piling up, you know what I mean? It's like, it, now it is psychological. I'm, I really want, like, like Glenn, <laughs> I really want him to make it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he, uh, even then, though, like Sans ends up saving their butt with a political maneuver. Yeah, but like, yeah. I feel like the, the heart of the show has always been this Game of Thrones, and the game d- it mostly involves uh, like the moves of like Varys and Littlefinger and Cersei and Tywin, and like all their sort of political machinations with the people on the ground being subject to the, to those institutions and those commands. And when when the show came time t- came time to end the show. Like, you know, you had Cersei sitting there and we have to deal with her. Either she's going to win or she's going to lose. But either way, if she loses, you want it to be because she played her hardest game. Just a survivor talk. She played her hardest game mm-hmm. and her hardest game wasn't good enough, but someone had better game. Right. Instead of instead of just resisting making a a more strategic decision with better situational awareness yeah, or, or just having having her not do anything. It seems like, well, it, no matter whether she won or lost. What they had her doing in mm-hmm. the last season was not worthy of a win or loss. It was boring. She was pretty dialed out. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And you didn't feel like you didn't feel like the people who won won because of their cleverness or strategy. You didn't feel like the people who lost lost because of their lack of cleverness or strategy. It was just like everyone got lobotomized and went through the motions of these big battles. And like <laughs> again, setting aside the individual characters and Ugh. the Mad Queen and all of that, yes. what you needed to do in the end was give people more of what they loved in the whole series in a big concentrated dose in the end. Instead, they sucked all of that out, and there was there was none of it. It's, it's like, and the guys on the watch said this like. Uh, how did under what circumstances did Jon Snow see Grey Worm after the throne room scene? <laughs> I mean, At what that, point didn't does, have time for that? It's like how is he even alive? How it's is like, he, yeah, how totally is he alive, John? Because here's the thing: the Dothraki who worship her as a god, the Unsullied right, who worship her as a god, Grey Worm. <laughs> you 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 know you think about killing Daenerys in a dream? You better apologize. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so suddenly it's all cool. And now we're just going to have we're just going to have this little Star Wars meeting <laughs> where we invent democracy. And ah! yeah, that was just it, that's just that's just sloppy and lazy and you didn't have enough time. Yeah. And I keep keeping this in mind, by the way, uh, the dragon carried away Daenerys. Right. Yeah. So in order for them to know that John killed Daenerys. Yeah. John had to have come out and told them which he would do because he's Jon Snow. Yep. Right. Yep. Right. But just they didn't show that scene either. It was like, by the way, they'd come she's in like he's Drogon stole the evidence. Yeah. I just saw the dragon fly away. Where's Daenerys? Hmm. And John could have been like, I don't know. I haven't seen her. 
<laughs> he didn't do that because he's Jon Snow, obviously. It's just, it's, it's absurd. As I feel a little bit like I'm struggling to find examples of quote unquote breaking the rules. Well, there's one is that like, what do we know about the Dothraki? What do we know about the Unsullied? We know that the thing that they would tolerate maybe worsen. Well, okay. In fairness, with the Unsullied, we do see that they, they, they respect the civilian, uh, they respect their separation. civilian owner. So, <laughs> so when she gives the guy a dragon on a chain, la la la. And they say, and she, she's like, turns and very carefully says, so we're done. The transaction is done. Like it's official. Now the unsullied know that I own them. Like that's when, that's when you, you flame on. But, but the Dothraki in particular, like, I don't know, both really, really both. Uh, anyways, anyways, now. now yeah, but anyway, that, that whole thing, that whole thing, like nobody, nobody was out. Uh, there, there was no more political maneuvering. There was no more yeah. cleverness. There was no more intrigue, even though the characters that supposedly participated in intrigue were still there. Tyrion was still there, but lost all ability to be intelligent. Varys was still there, but his entire apparatus of intrigue was null and void and it was never used again. And like none of that stuff that we loved, none of the institutions were in effect uh, like acting as a framework for the characters because the institutions have either been destroyed or now we're just ignoring them. And none of the the type of drama that the show had delivered to us was brought to bear. And so instead you just got battles and within those battles, like the, the more specific point of what they have the actual characters do and how the story ended was also not great. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was not not a good ending to a series for so many reasons. Like it's it's as like PHP, it's a fractal of bad design. Like <laughs> no matter how you look at it, like again, the scientific American thing, that's not the real reason. That's not, but it is, it is one aspect of it's the not, storytelling. It's not an incorrect can, take, but yeah. Yeah. It's just, they've just got a corner of the elephant, you know, they're just, they're interrogating <laughs> that, that aspect of the storytelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, so that's why when I read all these different articles, everyone's got a different corner of that elephant in there. Just, you know, <laughs> and it's all, it's all true. There yeah. is more than enough bad things to go around. Yeah. Um, would it have mattered if she had elephants? Do you think it would have helped? I mean, that's just another thread they, they dropped. Like, it would it would matter. If my expectations hadn't been t- so lowered by that point, I would be like, there's going to be something clever that you can or can't do with it's elephants. It's going to be an el- elephant ex machina. Or maybe at the very least, we'll, we'll understand why uh, Bran went away to watch his stories in the middle of the single most important battle of the entire series. When he could have been, a, yeah. when he could have been an eye so, in the sky. Yeah. So many threads dropped. Like, Bran used to have to work within a framework, too. He was he was put upon by the his abilities and prophecies and the other three-eyed raven. But once that framework was gone and he was just there, he, there was nothing left for him to do. And just it, it just fell. It, just, it, all, it all fell apart in the end, which is sad. And, and, the, like, and the reason I'm not, you know, it didn't go well, right? Yeah. But in the end, one thing they did do was take most of the fan favorites. Because at a certain point, it's like, okay, fine. But at least keep take most of the fan favorites yeah. and send them off to do something that's vaguely in character. And they more or less did that. Yeah. It's, it's very weak. It's like, if you just if you just pretend the last season and a half didn't happen and cut to the, everybody's final scenes, you're like, all right, it's fine, sweet. It's whatever. sweet. It's, it's sweet. But so, do you think he's going to join the Wildlings? It kind of looked like it. Oh, yeah. No, he's going Wouldn't to live in the North. Wouldn't that make like, like, life difficult for Sansa and Bran? No, he can come back down and visit. Like, there's no reason to he's be deserting. The wall he's deserting, John. No, but there's no reason to man the wall anymore. There's no threat on the other side. Well, that's what my lady says, but I'm not so sure. I mean, they still got a lot to do there. You know, they got so uh, like again. It, if you just watch the last minute of the last episode, you can and you can imagine a two uh, season arc that leads to that that is uh, much more satisfying than what they did because having John end up there, having like he had to do something in the end that was difficult. I mean, that's, you know, was very difficult and leaves him a broken man. Right. 
and mm-hmm. he goes to the north. Like I think it was someone said in, in one of our Slack channels that he ends up as the Frodo of the story. That's a backstory you can give, like that he had to do something, but it was very difficult. And now yeah. he'll never be the same. And he needs to just go off and brood in the north some more. Like, fine, that's fine, too. Arya going off on adventures. Who doesn't love that? Everyone loves that she's still alive. Everyone loves her adventuring. Mm-hmm. Bran on the throne. You can imagine there was a story where he used all sorts of his powers. He did all sorts of important things to get yeah. there. And he's he's an ideal person to have there because he's going to live for a thousand years and he can't have kids. I think I think it's a fix. I think that's explainable by some kind of a fixed timeline thing. I think it's it's like as we saw with the Hodor incident, I think he can't change things from happening. He knows that he's like a Dr. Manhattan. He He's locked in what he can do. It's better for his storytelling, though, if you if you had him actually do stuff like, oh, it that sure could, would. You know. Yeah. Right. So so if you just see the last 10 minutes, you can imagine, oh, yeah, but in that season and a half, Bran was instrumental in getting everything to the where we are like it, you know you can fill in a better story for yourself and most of the bad people dying you don't have to know exactly like you would never write jamie's particular events to leading to his death but the fact that he died you'd be like oh i could, i bet it was a cool story that led up to his death mm-hmm. right uh, same thing with the hound same thing with all this stuff like everyone wherever it ends up <laughs> you can you can back solve from that to a reasonable story especially if you don't like oh daenerys is dead but i'm not going to tell you why because you don't know why right or maybe she's just gone right you can make up a better story. She went than, back to her home planet. Did for her. Yeah, I, this is this happens in the incomparable all the time. Where during an episode, the panelists just start talking about different alternate endings that they would have liked better. If you find yourself starting to write different endings, mm-hmm. it probably means not just that you didn't like the ending, but that the ending just didn't work. Right? Because because if you didn't like the ending, you'd be talking about how disappointed you were in it. You wouldn't be saying like. Maybe they could have done this. Maybe they could have done that. For once in my life, I'm paying attention to a TV program and I'm actually paying attention. And even like as somebody as dumb as me, like if if I have to wonder what John's thinking and doing, mm, I don't know. I mean, Max has criticized this show and the books for being too much about like announcing what their motivation is. But like, there's just there's been just a whole bunch of stuff where the the work wasn't shown. I'm going to stop talking about it now. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Uh, to air air my grievances i still think it's a very very good show yep for it's kind of like the x-files for about six seasons it was really good mm-hmm. oh and i want to give my my two-minute pitch for uh one of my many endings that i was musing about that uh, oh, please could have avoided a lot a lot of these problems um before the, the past few seasons like the whole show was like winter is coming the very first scene of the entire series is the with the zombie thing killing people right yep so I feel like one way that you could have ended the series that probably would have made lots of people mad, but would have totally fit with the show and I would have enjoyed is like they do all the squabbling and they come over, they get all the same people in place, but the zombies are coming and the zombies basically sweep across Westeros, like mostly killing everybody we know and care about, destroying everything. But it's not everybody like some survivors managed to retreat. They come down. The winter comes like it's it gets dark and cold. They end up at King's Landing. They're killing everybody. They're swarming over the Iron Throne. In the end, our, our good guys win through some, uh, you know, they, they work together or like they fight each other to the last minute or whatever, like some improbable, very clever series of events that lets people do interesting and clever things. Nothing happens by accident. No kid yells yippee and accidentally fires something into a drone ship. <laughs> like it's all just, you know, the best imagined plot you could do. But in the end, they win. But the cost is almost everybody we know is dead. 
the Iron Throne no longer matters because almost everybody is dead. <laughs> there's and nothing, there's nothing and no out, one but, to govern. <laughs> yeah, and they were mostly wiped out by zombies, but there's a glimmer of hope because that would be in keeping with the overall theme, which is that winter is coming and you're squabbling over this thing and it's stupid and these institutions that you thought were important actually weren't important. Like, that probably would have been an ending that everybody hated. 100% would have fit with the theme of the show, though, mm-hmm. a- including continuing the theme of people dying without reason like the people left shouldn't have been our most beloved or heroic they just have been the people who are left right mm-hmm. and maybe our most beloved or heroic are the people who put together the plan to actually defeat and it would be like a good plan that everyone thought was clever and interesting and we're surprised by and we're like oh they're gonna do it like and you know instead of just you know someone accidentally shot somebody or like <laughs> we just lucked out or won or whatever like and and i don't i don't mind Arya killing it i thought that was actually oh, it's a, fine. It's a, a great pretty scene. good way to yeah, pretty good way to get out of that episode, and, and they had already established that rule. But like, that's one way you could have ended it that would have been on theme. It would save you having to deal with Cersei. It would save you having to solve everyone's story, and just so much for the whole rest of the series. The idea that winter was coming is the tagline of the show, and very frequently they told each other on the show, "Why are we all being stupid? We're all going to be dead soon," and they undercut that so bad and uh, to the detriment of the show. So. One ending they could have done, the winter's coming ending. Uh, it would have been very straightforward and they could have told it in, in six episodes and I would have loved it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's just one option. There's lots of options on the table. Call me HBO. Save, save it for the draft. Yeah, no. Well, the next series they do. They'll, they'll, surely they'll consult me. Game of Thrones babies? Yeah, the prequels, yeah. <laughs> How cute would that be? You know nothing, Jon Snow. It's not so cute when I cut off a little baby Ned's head at the end of the first season. <laughs> now, see, I should get some words for that. Mm-hmm.